Hi everyone, I'm Rosanna and this is AFL Obsessed. So much happened in the last week and over the weekend. We have a lot to catch up on and so many updates. It's been a really exhilarating, invigorating, and enlightening week, I would say. Definitely a circuit breaker of a round. And just when you think there are some foregone conclusions in terms of where teams will end up at the end of the season on the ladder, a disruptive round 15 comes along. So just to rewind, another big deal was inked. So Patty Cripps got, I like to think, the merit deal for Carlton. And I'm wondering how many big free agents are kind of left in the mix to sign. Lots of players I know are out of contract at the end of the season. So right now it feels a little bit like a giant list and we're just crossing off names weekly. But the most pressing info at the moment is just what to do about games going forward and to keep the season alive for teams, but also for all of us. And this info honestly could change between the time I'm recording and dropping this, but COVID cases are kind of popping up around Australia and authorities are just trying to prevent the spread of the Delta variant. So as of now, nearly half of the population are currently under stay-at-home orders in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Darwin, Townsville, and the Gold Coast. And on Wednesday, Alice Springs also entered a snap lockdown after cases kind of emerged in South Australia. So that's seven cities right now. And state leaders are referring to it as a pressure cooker situation with all of the new cases emerging and just 5% of the population being fully vaccinated. And this is all happening at the same time that Victoria kind of has been rolling out of lockdown and has had a handle on their quarantine with all of the lockdowns previously there. So the Sydney Swans and GWS were kind of forced to flee New South Wales with just a few hours of notice and kind of expectations that they could be on the road for one or two weeks. And Now that the city is in lockdown until July 9th, I think they're actually moving some more players. I think the Swans are to kind of continue training to meet up with their teammates later in Melbourne. I think they're doing that in Newcastle. And GWS actually brought almost all of their playing group to Melbourne on that same flight with the Swans. So there's been some shared flights out of cities. There's lots of photos kind of showing the teams on their own side of the plane, which I really love. And Brisbane and Gold Coast shared a flight to Melbourne, and so did the teams out of Western Australia, Rio, and West Coast. They just kind of all have to escape their COVID restrictions. And then came the news, too, after that, that the Crows and the Power were off to Victoria as South Australia COVID cases kind of emerged. So all 18 teams are now in Victoria to keep round 16 alive. A lot has happened really in just the last couple of days. And this has all been changing basically daily since the weekend. And some of the Saturday matches I know will have to be changed because they were going to be played at the Adelaide Oval and at Optus Stadium, which can't happen now. So we're kind of back to planning for the worst and hoping for the best. And we all just kind of have to remain like adaptable in that changing environment because right now it's just Victoria and nearby Hobart and Tassie that are just the playing options. 
And you'll remember earlier in the season two, Brisbane was kind of forced to stay in Melbourne for 16 days, kind of following an outbreak after they went there to play Geelong in round two. So we've made it this far. You know, I'm kind of hoping it all works out and that the cities will just kind of snap out of their lockdowns too. But most importantly, just that the Delta variant doesn't spread. So there's kind of these rumblings now. We're exploring all options. Maybe we potentially need to explore like footy frenzy like last year, like a potential medical sub as a fifth interchange and maybe even shorter quarters. So I don't know where it's all going to end up, but I know we'll be finding quite a bit out in this next round and over the weekend. So let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where we're at now in NYC. So the to-go cocktail program ended last Thursday for a lot of restaurants here. It was a state of emergency allowance that New York City created as sort of like an emergency pandemic response. A lot of establishments got licenses, so you could just kind of grab a to-go cocktail So they put that in place on March 7th of 2020, which just feels like two years ago to me. I don't know. And I can't say I use the service, but I actually do know a lot of people who really enjoyed grabbing that to-go beverage. And it was one of their bright spots of the pandemic to kind of help people get through. So you could grab like your bottled cocktail and just kind of walk through the empty streets and maybe to a park. And Broadway reopened. Springsteen on Broadway returned on Saturday for a limited run. And you all know, I just can't wait for the rest of Broadway to make its comeback. As for Andrew and I, um, I was was telling you last week all about the little island opening, the little floating island on the Hudson on the west side of Manhattan last time. And Andrew and I actually went with our friend Sean. We had just... I mean, it was such a lovely day. The weather has been really agreeable for summer here. That definitely changed as of Monday this week. But last week was sunny and beautiful and such a nice evening breeze. So it was a perfect time to check out an opening. And it's definitely a nice little area with a view of the city and across the water to Jersey. And I'll post stories on Insta so you can kind of see more of the space. There's lots of walking paths. There's kind of steps to sit on and places to picnic. I mean, New Yorkers, we love a picnic. It just felt very lush, like you were walking through a botanical garden with a ton of flowers. And there's also an amphitheater, which I really loved. You could kind of sit outside and we just enjoyed the sunset with drinks. And the people watching again was just so great. I mean, some hilarious energy that people were serving. I mean, no one is being polite right now. So everyone is just over being cooped up. And it's supposed to be like the hot vaxxed summer of 2021. And it's definitely going strong as is the heat advisory for the week. And afterwards, we walked through Chelsea, through the West Village, and it was such a like romantic evening in the area. I felt like we were surrounded by hundreds of dates. And the outdoor seating, I mean, I've told you how much I just really love this aspect of probably my favorite thing to have maybe come out of the pandemic that has really changed our city. Some of them are just really elaborate, like these spaces with a full build out and like a setup 
with chandeliers. I mean, I saw a bunch of hanging planters and there's like hurricanes filled with candles. It just kind of reminds me of like the spirit of Paris, like with the little cafes and the little tables and chairs outside. And I've never seen that charm duplicated anywhere. Melbourne's kind of arcades and like the laneways are the only thing that has come close to that feel for me. But I feel like NYC is now taking that on. And just walking through every moment felt like its own little vignette with romantic couples at their tables. And Andrew just kind of looked at me and said, like, Rosanna calls this darling. And it really was darling. I mean, it was kind of fun to walk through almost like a film set, but it's just the city. (laughs) It's impossible to kind of capture the essence. But if you really want to get to know like what the feel of the city was like, that was kind of it for me. And also I went to my first workout class again in a studio. It wasn't packed. I'm not quite there yet for those kind of classes, but I went to a Pilates reformer class and the machines are pretty big. So you can only fit like six to eight in a room. So by default, it's like socially distanced. But it was my first time kind of going back, and it was the first time Andrew and I went back to a movie theater. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie in a theater. Maybe we didn't even go in 2020, kind of given our schedule and then all the shutdowns, but we went to a movie theater again for the first time. It was a really small theater with just kind of those couple seats. So like two seats together in one unit. And they were really spread out. There were only like nine of those seats. So just 18 people in this room in total. And we saw a movie I've been waiting to see, In the Heights. I can't recommend this enough. <laughs> and I I never thought anything could top Hamilton. But In the Heights just might for me, considering that I feel like I'm living that experience right now in a way. And it kind of perfectly encapsulates like the feel of living in New York City with the diversity, the struggles, you know, dreams and hopes and kind of all the challenges that you face and the sacrifices you make when you choose to live here. I won't give anything away, but there is a moment where They're waving flags from all the Latin American countries with this culturally like rich in like element. That's such a beautiful celebration. So that part was really moving. And it was just infused with so much like joy, happiness and love for family and other things. It really does feel like the crazy rich Asians version of for Latinos in terms of representation to me, just like like a pinnacle way of kind of representing it. But yeah, I just love everything about that show and I just need more of that in my life. And it does feel like we're treading kind of into that first territory again as we baby step it away from 2020, except I'm like Shea Bolton away. (laughs) But now let's get to footy and on to act one with AFL headlines and highlights. And we're just kind of reaching for that operatic aria with the high notes in the Brisbane versus Geelong game. Okay, Brisbane has had some big wins and they were in top form and they just kind of launched from the start. And Geelong's been killing it too, especially in the last few rounds. So it was a bit of a surprise, I think, to everyone when they didn't even get a goal in the first quarter. And it really ended up just being like a whole catch up game for them. Sidebar, I remember very early on when I was watching games and I would cheer 
even when my team got a point because they were so bad and I was just happy for any addition to the score. And, you know, Andrew was like, nobody cheers for behinds. Like, behinds don't win you games. And, I mean, you never want to score more behinds than goals. But in this game, Brisbane actually had 13 goals and 16 behinds. So they could have been potentially more damaging. And I just want to point out that they did win. But I think Charlie Cameron's hanger in the third was probably my fave moment from that game. And you should check it out if you haven't seen that part of it. In the Richmond versus St. Kilda game, Saints, I am applauding you because I've definitely been over here asking what's up and where you've been at times this season. And they were just really hungry with that aggressive edge that you just really want to see and a pressure and intensity that I just hope continues for them for the remaining rounds of the season. They kept the Tigers to only 22 points for the entire game. So they had two goals for the entire time. And from a stats point of view, that was their lowest score since 1961 and their lowest at the G since 1927. For the reigning premiers, that was a huge surprise. I mean, even the two teams at the bottom of the ladder, like North Melbourne and Hawthorne, they score three to four times that per game that they're playing. So I still remember the headline on the AFL site after that game and it was literally what on earth was that 10 weeks ago the tigers beat the saints by quite a few points we don't have to name the number so i feel like the saints got their revenge this time around and i always love when you get a revenge for a round two but they're playing much more cohesively as a team and i think we're all here for it in the collingwood versus Fremantle game this really was robert harvey's first test as a head coach Typically, there's like a honeymoon period that we're all expecting after a coach leaves where the team just kind of starts doing well under change. And also with no Nat Fife for Frio, he had a really late out with his shoulder. Heading into the game, you just kind of really wonder what will happen. And it was a much closer game than you realize, which was almost determined in the last few minutes. But Frio kicked the last three goals, which ended their seven-game losing streak at Marvel, and Bewey is just a gem. I always look, though, at the player stats after a game for fantasy, but I just want to know because in my mind that's kind of like who actually was dominant and maybe who actually won. And, you know, in this particular case, all the stats were on the Collingwood side where they were the highest stats were Collingwood being dominant. So that was kind of interesting, but I'm just so proud of Frio, and I'm just really happy that you were able to kind of reach deep and kind of gut that out. The North versus Gold Coast game was also a very close game that was down to the last couple of minutes. And in the Port Adelaide versus Sydney game, Scott Lysa came through for his team at the end of the game just in the last two minutes. And you got to check that out if you haven't seen it. I know there's match highlights all over the AFL site. And in the Essendon versus Melbourne game, it was rough, but I feel like <laughs> there's a line in a film called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And there's a girl in a meeting where she constantly has to talk about really rough things when she's publishing articles, but she always ends it with like, but still upbeat. And that's kind of how I feel about my team right now. It was a really close game. There were some rough ump calls, but I still kind of feel 
like coming out of a loss that there's still so much hope and brightness for the future. I don't know if it's just me, but I really do feel that way. And Hawthorne beat GWS, which was really great for them. And the Bulldogs beat the Eagles by 55 points at Optus. And Carlton won a game. (laughs) They beat Adelaide. So like I said, circuit breaker of a round. Lots of things you don't expect. But what did you guys think? I mean, do you think there's anything we learned about the teams or the coaches? I mean, how are you feeling about your team at this point? Because we are so far in the season What do you think about what's to come and all of the changes for this weekend? I'd love to know your thoughts. My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter. Okay, it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. So in the NFL, the first active major athlete in all major sports Based on revenue in the U.S., so football, basketball, baseball, and hockey are kind of what I'm focusing on, Raiders player Carl Nassib came out as gay, and he is the first active player in NFL history to do that. So no openly active gay or bi player has kind of come out during their playing career. I think there have been around 15 players who have come out after playing. So he actually came out with a really sweet video and he said he's a pretty private person. So he just kind of was not doing it for attention. He just really thinks that representation and visibility are so important. And to kind of do his best and his part to cultivate this culture that's accepting and compassionate, he started by just doing that and donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. So he is in his sixth season with the NFL. And I'm just so proud of him, and I think he should be proud. And I'm just really glad that for the future, you know, young kids have that kind of representation that they can see. But also, I just hope that more people feel comfortable and in a place where maybe they can do that if it's on their terms. And I'm not sure if you guys saw the crazy video of Tour de France, the first day of their annual event in stage one. I'm not really into cycling. I will watch parts of it every now and then when they're kind of going through a place I really like. So there was a spectator holding a really large like horizontal sign and not even looking at the peloton that was kind of coming towards them. And they caused this massive crash and a chain reaction accident that was really dramatic because the cyclist closest to the spectator had nowhere to go because the sign was like in his space. The crazy thing is they're now looking for the woman who caused the pileup. I mean, if you look at the photos immediately after the crash, the road is just covered in bodies and bikes. I think at this point I've seen that video from every angle and like in slow-mo too. I honestly hope like everyone is okay. The reporting's more about just like the incident, but it looked pretty bad for some of the participants. So yeah, definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. But now we're on to act two where we have discussions about relevant footy topics and issues. And we've kind of talked about milestones before, but in celebration and in preparation for a huge moment that's happening this weekend, Sean Burgoyne is hitting his 400th game this weekend. That's a major milestone. I'm just endlessly applauding you and he will join the handful of peeps that have also hit that stat so it's brent harvey kevin barklett tuck and fletchy and that's it (laughs) so he's going to become the fifth player 
So a little bit about Sean Burgoyne. His nickname is Silk, (laughs) which I love and adore. And there's a really great pic of him that I feel like circulates quite a bit whenever they talk about him, where he's with his brother, Peter Burgoyne, after a premiership, and they're kind of kissing their medals (laughs) for port. And I think a lot of people think he might be the last to hit that stat in the modern day game. But for me, I feel like we're kind of trending towards that direction. I don't know if that's just like my personal feelings on it. But so Sean played in 2004 with Port Adelaide against the mighty Brisbane team at the start of the century and just beat them in a grand final. He was like this hot young rookie. (laughs) And when he started, he actually played with Hardwick and Wanganeen as teammates because he was recruited so long ago. That was like a really great scoop up. And then he was, um, you know, brought over. I mean, when he played at Hawthorne, um, they recruited him in 2010. But I think until the 90s, players would just retire to kind of focus on their real job, quote unquote. And I feel like professionalizing or like the sport and making it professional made it lucrative to kind of keep playing footy for as long as they possibly could but making the sport professional did come gradually it wasn't at any like specific point in time so players with second jobs kind of I think seemed to disappear by the 90s as far as from what I've been able to gather so like I said I do think we're trending towards more people hitting bigger milestones like this because three out of those five players that I mentioned have hit that milestone in the last decade so I think sports science has improved as well so maybe players can kind of look after themselves better but there is so much of like a breakdown of possibility for you know to keep a player basically from playing for that long there's so many things that can take you out the game I feel like injury mostly but health overall like physical mental emotional energetic health too there could be familial issues Um, you could lose your drive and your interest too, or maybe you don't get another contract and maybe your team could also like lose faith and patience with you. So there's just so many kind of facets to keep people from playing on, even if they want to. I know there's been several players from my team alone and other teams I've seen in the last few years where they wanted to continue playing on, but there just wasn't a possibility or a position where they were able to do that at their team or another one. So Sean was picked 21 in the 2000 draft, which is crazy since a lot of players now entering the game or who've been playing for a couple of years were born in that year. He is a four-time premiership player, which is a really big deal. I think Hawthorne had a successful dynasty, so players from that period definitely have kind of been able to collect those stats. But this will be his last season It is a really huge feat. I can't even articulate how challenging it is to get over that. You really have to play for the better part of like two decades. And I think I've always wondered, I guess, like why maybe as we approach like these stats, like kind of what makes it more common now? Is it like, you know, as I said, better better player protection for or player overall health. I just feel like 
instead of it being more like the Hunger Games before, I just hope that like, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor. And I just really am looking forward to all the other players that are kind of getting closer and closer to their milestones. But that's such a major one. I just really had to celebrate that. So congrats to Sean Burgoyne. And we're all going to be watching this weekend. So now it's the after show. And I'm really excited for round 16. Also, I barely made it out of the last round with my super coach team. So last year was my first time kind of playing. But with all of the moving, I kind of had to stop towards the end. And so this is my first year that I'm determined to play out the season. I've learned so much, but I am a little behind though, because I still kind of have to upgrade three peeps. And I feel like I'm just in that space where I'm running out of trades and <laughs> I'm running out of time. So that's going to be really interesting. And now that I'm in all these like matchups, I just really hope to kind of make it through this round. And also I started a buy me a coffee page. So if you like what I'm doing, thanks for supporting me thus far and for listening every week. And I'm not going anywhere. I just want to be able to kind of provide frequent and better content for you guys. And it is a labor of love, but you know, it is labor. So if you want to put a little caffeine in my system to keep this running and going and to keep pumping this out, I'd really appreciate it. But thank you so much for sharing a part of your day with me, guys. And really keeping me company. So hopefully I'm doing that for part of your day too. <laughs> so that's it for me. Thanks again for listening, rating, and subscribing everyone. And let me know what you think. <laughs> and thanks for hanging around for the show. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like we have with footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.